Welcome to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. I'm glad you found us. My name is Tony Piles, and I'm the pastor here. I pray this recording brings you encouragement and growth in Christ, and we would love for you to join us in person anytime you are in town. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for our current schedule of worship and Bible studies. And may God bring you blessing through what you're about to hear. Thank you. Our sermon text this morning is drawn from Philippians 1, beginning at verse 3. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. Hear now God's word. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Please be seated. Lord God, we thank you for your word and we pray this morning that it would go forth and accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How does the gospel, or how does partnership in the gospel bear fruit in the lives of God's people? That's the question I'd like us to consider as we look at Philippians this morning. How does gospel partnership bear fruit in the lives of God's people? Have you ever struggled with how to begin a thank you note? Some people have a gift. I don't. There's not a problem for them. They just sit down, they pick up a pen, and then they stand up because they're finished. For the rest of us, there's a feeling of dread and anxiety that can set in sometimes when you have those thank you cards to write. How do I communicate thanks to Aunt Susie in a way that says I'm grateful for her gift, but more than that, grateful for her? Never mind the extra layer if she gave me something I really didn't want or need. How do I avoid sounding mercenary on the one hand and over the top and a bit unbelievable on the other? And what if I labor too long over writing this card and she thinks I've forgotten to send one? Would it be better if I skipped a card altogether and called her on the phone? Or would that be worse? 
Paul's letter to the Philippians is, is not like Galatians or 1 Corinthians. He loved those congregations deeply, as he does the good folks at Philippi, but he wrote to them primarily to address problems, deep and serious problems in the congregation. The Philippian church certainly has its, its warts and its wrinkles, but he writes to them primarily to express thanks, thanksgiving for their partnership with him in the gospel. But he goes about it in a very interesting way. The opening paragraphs of Paul's letters almost always give a glimpse of what he's up to and what he hopes to accomplish as he writes to this church. We already spoke last week of the way he reminds the Philippians of the power of the gospel to transform and of the grace and peace that it has brought to them. This week, we'll begin to see his focus on their partnership with him in the gospel, their participation in his ministry, even from a great distance, and their joyful joining and spreading the news of Christ, as well as the fruit that he expects this will bring about in the lives of the people he writes to. So the first thing I'd like us to see as we consider this gospel partnership and this fruit it bears is in verses 3 through 6. The gospel partnership leads to praise. Gospel partnership leads to praise. Paul begins the paragraph with thanks. I, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. But it's a thanksgiving not to the Philippians, Rather, to God. For he's thankful first and foremost for what God has accomplished in his people. Because gospel partnership leads to praise. And in the course of these verses, Paul mentions three reasons for that praise. First, in verses 3 through 4, Paul is thankful for their every remembrance. Perhaps you know an especially thoughtful person. They often remember you. They're dropping a line to check on you or, or leaving a note on your desk. And every time you receive one of these small tokens of their affection, you remember them. And you're grateful. And this is the kind of thing that Paul describes here. Now, if you're looking over your neighbor's shoulder at a different translation, you may notice some disagreement here. Is Paul talking about, as he, as he thanks God, is he talking about their remembrance of Paul or Paul's remembrance of them? What is this every remembrance he speaks of? But these things come to much the same thing in our experience as they do in Paul's. Here's a card in the mail from a dear friend, a sign that they are remembering me, which then leads me to thank God as I'm reminded of them and their love for me. And this is what Paul describes here. This kind of remembering of one another brings deep encouragement to us, as it does for Paul. It warms the heart of a missionary on the other side of the world as they receive a note from home 
reminding them that they're being prayed for by people far away, people who are invested in the work that they are doing in this other country. It brings encouragement to a believer who's unable to leave home because of their health, because of illness, to know that they are not forgotten, that their fellow believers earnestly desire to be restored to their company. To a family in the church welcoming a new child or or faced with the sudden loss, a meal can mean the world. And I can testify personally of the many ways you as a congregation have remembered my family and me as we're making this transition from Oklahoma to Louisiana. We get the sense from Paul's words that that this kind of remembering, these frequent tokens of affection are a way of life for the congregation that he writes to. And all of this remembering and being remembered doesn't merely warm Paul's heart, although it certainly does. It represents not a mere encouragement that strengthens his hand in God, although it does that too. This remembering energizes his prayers, fills him with a spirit of joy that turns his thankfulness for the Philippian congregation into joyful praise to God the Father. And it reminds Paul of their common participation and partnership in the gospel. That's the second reason for Paul's thankful praise here. Paul is thankful for their participation, which he mentions in verse 5, your partnership in the gospel. He's thankful for it. He, He makes this curious comment there that their participation is from the first day until now. What does he mean by this? If we track Paul through the book of Acts, he doesn't come to Philippi until chapter 16. This is on his second missionary journey as he moves further west in the Mediterranean, visiting churches he founded earlier and establishing even more. So it can't mean from the first day of the gospel. It can't even mean from the first of his ministry. But if we turn back to Acts 16, one of the things we're struck by is the immediate response of the people in Philippi to the good news of Jesus. Lydia is converted when she hears. Her entire household is baptized. And straight away she presses Paul and his companions to stay with her at her house. Despite that, it doesn't take long for Paul and his companions to land in prison through an entanglement with this demon-possessed girl who's of some commercial value to people in the town. And if you remember the story, as they're sitting in prison, this earthquake shakes the whole prison and all of the doors are opened and all of the bonds are loosed. And the jailer's ready to end his own life because of his failure in his duty. But the prisoners stay. And the jailer hears the gospel as Paul proclaims it to him. And he, likewise, together with his household, receives Christian baptism. Even 
there in the middle of the night. Lydia, the jailer, many others in the city eagerly received the gospel. And from that very day, right up to the writing of this letter and well beyond, they remained steadfast partners of Paul, rejoicing in the spread of the gospel through his ministry. And as Paul will mention later, even financially supporting Paul as he goes about his work in other cities, something Paul did not normally permit a church to do. This early and consistent partnership between this church and their founder, this continuing concern for Christian work far beyond the borders of their own city, was a special mark of Paul's relationship with the Philippians that brought him great joy. It bore much fruit, much fruit for Christ. May this be true and continue to be true of us as a congregation as we partner long and faithfully with those who work for Christ in both near and far-flung places. And may our partnership with them in the gospel bring praise and glory to God. But there's a third reason that Paul is thankful and that he turns to the Lord in praise. He's thankful for what God is going to bring about in verse 6. And I'm sure of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As grateful as he is for all of the remembrance as much as their continuing partnership brings him encouragement and joy, Paul also gives thanks for what he knows God will bring about in the lives of the Philippian believers. What it is that he expects God to do, he will begin to spell out later and even pray for at the end of the passage we're considering this morning. For now, notice his confidence. His confidence that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Have you thought about this in relation to your own progress in the faith? Paul speaks here of a work that God began. We know that salvation is something God must bring about. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are dead in our trespasses and sins until God makes us alive together in Christ. But have you considered that God will also continue to work on you throughout your lifetime? Have you considered that even as those who are justified in Christ, made right with God, adopted into his family, there's a continuing work of renewal, of being formed more and more into Christ's likeness. We're urged in many places, including later in this letter, to pursue that, to chase after becoming more like Christ. But we are also assured here that our salvation as a a total package of justification and adoption and sanctification and glorification is something that God himself will bring to completion 
at the day of Christ Jesus. Beloved, give thanks to God for your progress in the faith. Give thanks to God that he is making you look more and more like Jesus every day. Give thanks for his work in the lives of others and pray for their growth in grace, even as you pray for your own. And draw comfort that you are not yet formed into what God will reveal you to be at the last day. Our own shorter catechism reflects on that moment in words we mentioned a few weeks ago. It asks the question, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? And it answers that the resurrection believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Beloved, give thanks to God that he who began a good work in you and in your fellow believers will assuredly bring it to completion at the last day. Beloved, gospel partnership leads to praise. But we also see that gospel partnership leads to affection. We see this in verses 7 and 8. Gospel partnership leads to praise as we give thanks to God for others and for what God does in and through them. The gospel partnership also leads to affection for one another. We see brotherly love between Christians blossoming into the affection of Christ Jesus in this passage. Paul says that he holds the Philippians in his heart, that he yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. Have you ever known such sweet fellowship among Christians that you you cannot wait to be with God's people again? My own children have taught me much in this regard. Our daughters will tell you that Sunday is their favorite day of the week. As our knowledge of and love for one another in Christian fellowship grows, you may notice that it also morphs. It changes. For it's one thing to be close friends and to enjoy one another's company. But as the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of believers who share life together, what begins as a, as a natural friendship and an affinity for one another blossoms into something deeper and more lovely. The Lord Jesus' very love for his people takes shape and takes seat in our hearts. It deepens and enriches our love for one another. And beloved, this affection is no cause for embarrassment. As we reflect on this affection and this partaking of grace, notice here that Paul suffers no embarrassment as he speaks freely of his love for the Philippians. Our 
culture at times, especially among men, prefers a, a reserve and, and a burying of emotion so that we can sometimes blush at those who freely express what they feel. And let us be clear that there is room in Christ's church for, for all kinds of personalities. But let us also take a cue from Paul here and know that there's no reason to be embarrassed by the affection of Christ Jesus as it is revealed in his church. If you are inclined to show forth your love for your brothers and sisters, take encouragement from Paul's words here. And if your inclination is to be more stoic, to feel but not show, be reminded here of the deep love God forms in his people for you and for others. And don't be afraid to put it in words now and again. Beloved, hear no rebuke here, but only encouragement to let the love of God be shed abroad in your hearts, to, to let it show in your countenance, in your words, in your actions. And ask the Lord to deepen your love for his people, that you may love Christ's bride as he himself does. We also see that partnership in the gospel makes Christians fellow partakers of grace. This is part of this affection that Paul describes. And perhaps the, the thorniest or trickiest part of our passage this morning, Paul makes this very curious statement. For his affection for the Philippians, the affection of Christ Jesus for his people is intimately bound up in their gospel partnership and in the fact that they are fellow partakers of grace with him. So far, so good. On its own, this is wonderful rather than shocking, but Paul directly connects that partaking of grace with his imprisonment and with persecution. And this leads to two related questions for us. How is imprisonment for the gospel a partaking of grace? And how is Paul's imprisonment connected to the Philippians and their experience of and participation in that grace? Remember that I said this paragraph offers us a preview of what Paul wants to write about. And he will expand on this as we consider the next paragraph next week. But for now, it is enough for us to consider that the Lord often uses suffering. He uses suffering to form Christ in us, to develop and strengthen our graces for his glory and for our good. So that in the midst of his imprisonment, Paul is experiencing the grace of God in a refreshing and invigorating way. And as the Philippians support 
and encourage Paul, pray for him, and perhaps suffer worry and anxiety on his behalf, which they take to the Lord in prayer, they participate in that suffering with him and alongside him so that his shared suffering and their bearing of his burdens in prayer become a means of grace to them as well. As we continue in the book, we will see that the Philippians, like Paul, are also suffering persecution in their own city as they defend and proclaim the gospel so that their partaking with him is not restricted merely to their praying for and worrying over Paul. Beloved, may it be so for us. As we join in prayer with those who are ministering, as we support and encourage them, may we likewise be strengthened and filled with grace as we turn and face whatever God may bring our way. May we find that suffering and challenges turn us to Christ so that his glory rather than our grumbling may shine forth. And may we be together with Paul and the Philippians bound to other believers in the affection of Christ. And may we find ourselves fellow partakers with them of his grace. We also see in these last three verses, the gospel partnership leads to petition. Verses 9 through 11. The gospel partnership Paul has with the Philippians leads him to pray for them and to ask God to bring certain things about in their lives. First, we see that Paul prays for an increase in love. First and foremost, Paul prays for the Philippians that their love may abound more and more. And the very shape of his request is a recognition and a giving thanks to God that they are filled with Christian love. So that Paul is not praying that God would meet a deficiency in their character or supply something that they lack. Rather, he prays that the love that is already theirs in Christ would continue and increase. Paul also prays that this love would have a specific direction, that it would be joined with knowledge and discernment, with a practical ability to understand the right response in the moment or in the situation. In other words, Paul prays not only that their love would increase, but that their skill in expressing that love would likewise increase. Perhaps you've known someone who knew just the right words to say, to bring someone encouragement, or to express love, or they knew just the right thing to do for someone. This is what Paul prays for. Not only that they would continue to grow in love, but that they would continue to develop skill in their display and extension of love to Paul and to others. And this for a congregation who has 
partnered with him from the beginning and from whom he has received many specific and concrete expressions of their affection. May God do so for us as well. May our love for one another increase as well as our ability to be the hands and feet of Jesus in expressing his love to one another. Paul prays that their love would increase. But Paul also prays for purity and produce. Paul prays that the Philippians would be pure and blameless and that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is intimately connected to his prayer for an increase of love and to the phrase in between about approving what is excellent. The Philippians, like us, lived in a culture that was filled with a mix of good and bad. There was much that was praiseworthy in their city and much that needed to be transformed by the gospel. And as they lived among their fellow Roman citizens and sought to share the gospel with them, the Philippians needed discernment and greater love. But they also needed protection. They needed purity. They needed a greater understanding of the law of God, that they might do his will. And they needed the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to bring about holiness. We live in times that seem very different, but we face our surrounding culture with the same basic needs. We need God to grant us to neither run into sin or fall into any kind of danger, as Cranmer once phrased it. We need help in pursuing righteousness as we seek to love what is good and to live as light in what are sometimes dark corners of the world. And we often need the Lord's help to understand the difference. Let us join with Paul in asking these things for ourselves and for one another. And Paul also asks these things for the glory and praise of God. There's a phrase often attached to promises and petitions for God's glory and our good. This is the reminder with which Paul closes the paragraph. Does he pray these things for the good of the people in Philippi? Absolutely. It is good for them to increase in love. It is good for them to approve what is excellent. It is good for them to be partakers of God's grace together with Paul, even in the midst of suffering. But these things are also all for the glory and praise of God. Paul's highest aim, the goal of the Philippian believers, our chief end, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As God grants these things and forms these characteristics and dispenses this grace of which Paul speaks, it all reflects back on his glory as the mouths of his saints are filled with praise. How does partnership in the gospel bear fruit in the lives of God's people? As we have seen from Paul and the Philippians, gospel partnership leads to praise of God, to affection for his people, and to prayer 
on behalf of one another. Sweet fellowship among God's people as they labor together to make Christ known, binding them together in the Lord as they bring glory and honor to his name. May it be so among us and may it increase. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Paul's letter to the Philippians, for the encouragement that we draw from it, for the picture we see of a close and lovely relationship between a minister and Christ's people. Father, as we learn from this letter, we pray that you would use its teaching to make us more and more like Jesus. And we ask these things in his precious name. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for more teaching and for our current schedule of events if you'd like to drop in. We pray this recording has been a blessing to you. Go in peace.